0: It is one of the most loved chapters in the Bible. It's been recited at thousands of weddings and on many of the greeting cards we purchase. A study in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Coming up next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. For me Welcome to our program This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor We're going through 1 Corinthians right now What would you say you're known for? Maybe it's your accomplishments at the workplace Or your wealth Some are known as being a gossip Or an angry, bitter person But wouldn't it be nice to be known as a loving person? That's actually what the Christians should be known for, and today we'll be encouraged in that direction. Here's our teacher once again, Pastor Ed, in 1 Corinthians 13.
1: Concerning these spiritual things, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. When the Bible talks about us not being ignorant, it actually has these areas where those seem to be the things that the church is most ignorant about ignorant about spiritual things, ignorant about the coming of the Lord, ignorant about God's plan for Israel, and we don't want to be ignorant about those things that are very important to God, the wiles or the schemes of the devil. He says, don't be ignorant. We're not ignorant of his devices. So we slow down on these sections, especially here in chapter 12, looking at the manifestations of the Spirit, learning about the unity of the Spirit. The church in Corinth, like any other church, It's possible for any other church. We look at Corinth and go, oh, I can't believe they did that. No, it's, it's possible with any church to get off track, to see great problems arise. The church got off track, the leadership got off track, and the church almost went down. It required God to intervene by sending Paul getting a letter into Paul's hand with a report of what was going on. And then Paul jumped in and said, no, no, this is the way it needs to be. And that's what we've been reading through and learning from in 1 Corinthians. This is the way it needs to be on these topics inspired by the Holy Spirit. Corinth was a city given over to carnality and sinful idolatry. The church was saved out of that and brought into a a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only problem with that is that those that got saved out of the world brought a little bit of the world with them. It's very hard just to leave the world. You gotta, you, you've got to be in a place where you're washing yourself with the water of his word and you're enveloped in the spirit of God. You, it, it's almost like you, you need to take a shower daily to wash off the things of the world, to wash off the effects of the world, the thinking of the world. This world system loves to press us into its mold and Corinth was no different. The key for them and the key for us is to be in the spirit. That's the only way you're not going to find partying. You know, going out and partying and clubbing. That's the only way you're going to find that not attractive because Jesus is more attractive in the spirit. If you're in the flesh, anything goes. It's a bad place to live your life. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. I can handle it. Really? You can just take on the world in your own strength. You can go against sound wisdom and knowledge. Very, very easy for us to justify just about any behavior, even when the Bible is crystal clear. The Bible couldn't be clearer on living in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, he says in verse 6 or verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. The idea behind the word walk is your whole entire life. Not church life, work life, personal life, my time, your time. It's life. It's your walk. It represents your life and mine in its entirety. It says, therefore, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh as your flesh rises up in lust. Again, in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 25, it says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit, the whole manner of your life. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 12 is about unity. It's about spiritual unity and oneness in the body. Being careful not to think too highly of ourselves. Especially as each of us have been given different spiritual gifts. And the manifestation of the Spirit comes upon us in different ways, especially. That's why chapter 12 ends with these rhetorical questions... In verse 29, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer, of course, to all of that is no. Which, by the way, is a side note. No necessity to get into it in depth. It's enough to just see it for what it is. These simple verses, taking at face value literally, which is what we do with the scriptures, Puts away the notion that tongues is the only evidence by which you are saved. It seems to be popular these days. It's just not true. And that if you haven't been, if you haven't been, if you haven't seen the manifestation of tongues in your life, then somehow you're a second-class Christian, you're a second-class spiritual. That's not true. This is so clear. Not everyone speaks with tongues, the Bible says. Not everyone's involved in these things. But verse thirty-one, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. A lot of people pause right there and go, whoa, 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 "Okay, what's the best gift? What is it? Is it tongues? Is it prophecy? What, what's the best manifestation? What's the best gift? Is it the teacher? Is it the one that's speaking forth the word of God in prophecy? Is it one that's gifted with mercy? What's the best gift?" Well, listen, I believe that the best gift, the best manifestation of the Spirit, is what is needed at the moment. It's what's needed right before you. It's not, this isn't a statement of an elevation of who is most important. Or what is most important, it's, it's a statement of, here's the reality, the best gift, the desire in our hearts for the best gift, isn't to desire a gift. And we've just spent an entire chapter looking at how you're not more important than anyone else, depending on what your giftings. We're all part of the body. You and I, you're not more valuable than me, I'm not more valuable than you, we're all important in the body of Jesus. So it's not desire the best gift so you can be better or best, it's desire that best gift to be used by him the best way. What's needed in the moment? It's not a matter of role or position, but rather a matter of need and effectiveness in ministering the gospel. Another way of putting it, the best gift is the gift that's going to bring the most glory to God in that instant. The manifestation of spirit, the best manifestation of the spirit in that moment is the one that's going to bring most glory to god and least amount of attention to you or me that's the best gift it's not looking at each other and going wow look at your gifting i sure wish you have the best gifting no that's the gifting the person has and it may or may not be effective in the moment that's why a lot of people will try to jump in and accomplish something in the flesh that's no longer a spiritual gift it's just a fleshly man Or a fleshly woman trying to make something happen because they've sized everything up and they've made the decision. No, the best gift is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this instant. And no matter how wonderful and how exciting spiritual gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit can be, without the agape love, this more excellent way, what difference does it make? That's how chapter 13 opens up. I'll show you the most excellent way. And this is one of those places where chapter breaks are unfortunate. Those aren't inspired by God. They were put in to help us understand and put in at a much later date so that we can call attention to certain verses and such. But you read the Greek manuscript all the way through. I'll show you a more excellent way, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I've become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I'm always fascinated by how God puts together voices and harmonies and tones and instruments. I don't know all the details about it. I don't understand anything like that, but I can tell you this. I can tell when they're gelling together and when they're not. And I can tell when the drummer's into it and when he's not. And I can also tell when there is a time where some wrong note was hit on purpose or by accident or when the symbols, you know, let's just say at the end of that, that hymn that we just so gloriously sung unto the Lord that the drummer decided, no, I'm not done. <laughs> uh, you guys might be done, but I'm not done. And he just starts banging the cymbals and he's closing his eyes and he's, you know, he's just banging because he wants, it's just a clanging noise. Within the context of the song, within the context of the leadership, within the context of all the sounds going on, Beautiful all on his own and just decide, you know, I think I want a symbol solo, distraction. Totally meaningless. The drums, the symbols have a place, but outside of that place, not very useful. It's the same thing with the manifestations of the Spirit. If you could speak with every language known to man and the heavenly language of angels, and you can do all that without love sounding brass, clanging cymbals, no love, no work of the Spirit. He goes on to say, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, I emphasize those words, all knowledge, though I have all faith, which none of us have. He's really trying to stretch our thinking here. He says, if I had all these things, I understood everything, and I could even move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. What difference does it make? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. See, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit pours out into our hearts the very love of God. That's yours and mine as a believer. That the instant you're born again, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in your heart. It's a miraculous thing. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's how, I'm sure you have testimonies of people in your life, that at one point in your life and at one point of knowing them, you would have said, that is the most loveless person I've ever met. So harsh, so mean, so uncaring, lacking compassion. You look at them and everything about their life, they're just, they're not saved. And there's not even an ounce of Love from God in there. Not that they're never nice or kind, but that the mannerism of their life just loveless. And how you can meet that same person? They were loveless on Friday. They got saved on Sunday. You meet them on Monday, and they're instantly changed. It blows you. You don't even understand it. Hey, weren't you just so and so on Friday? Yeah, but I've been born again. How can you change that fast? And they don't even understand yet because they don't know Romans 5 yet. I don't know. I just know Jesus loves me and I want you to know that Jesus loves you too. How is that possible? They don't have they haven't taken any theology class. They haven't even read the new believer stuff yet. How is that possible? Because the work of the Holy Spirit it's already happened. The love of God has been poured into their hearts. And just as instantly as God can des- deliver someone from the bondage and addiction to alcohol or to drugs, he can also deliver someone from what you could call a bondage and addiction to hatred by pouring love into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. The loveless can be the, become the very loving so that there is an ever-increasing joy and love in our hearts. Even if you can't explain it, you might have people asking you what is going on and you, you, don't, you can't even explain it. You, have, you don't even know yet. You're learning some of this stuff for the first time and you're like, oh, that's what it is, man. I just, man, I can't believe it. I'm just, I, I'm just watching it before I would blow up. Before, I, I, I just, that was a trigger in my life and I don't blow up at that anymore. It's the love of God that's been poured into your hearts. It's his, and you could write this word down. You'll hear it all the time. It's the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. It's used different ways in the New Testament, sometimes as a noun, sometimes as a verb. You might hear it referred to as agapeo, which is the verb form. It's the same word. It refers, it's the word, it's a Greek word for the word English word love, and it refers to the love of God, the selfless, self-sacrificial love of God toward man. When you look at our English language, you know, we're so limited in the word love. We're so limited, period. And we use the same word for many different things. You you could say, I love you to someone you really care, like your husband, your wife, your mom, uh, your friend. I love you. And you mean something by that. I really love you. And in the same breath, you can have a Big Mac in your hand and say, I love this Big Mac. Now, I hope you don't mean the same thing. I hope you don't mean that you love that Big Mac the same way you love that person. And that's not probably what you mean. You know, oh, I love the, man, I love candy. And I love you, honey. I hope it's not the same thing. Because our words are limited. We're actually using the same word to express two different feelings. Two different expressions. The Greek language isn't like that. There are four predominant words used in the New Testament for the word love. Uh, In the Greek. If you want to jot them down, you can see them and you can even look at them as you're studying through. The first one is the word phileo. We get our English word Philadelphia. It literally, that's a word that refers to brotherly love, friendship type of love. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. It's the word phileo. The second word is the word eros eros we get our english word erotic from it speaks of a sexual type of love an intimate type of love we don't see it in this our english version but we do see it in the septuagint the greek version of the old testament it's used many times the third the third greek word that's used for love is the word storge. this speaks of a fondness kind of a family type of affection in Romans chapter 1 verse 31 talking about those rebelling against God it speaks of them not having they're unloving and that's actually the word that has that reflects they don't have a love for their family they don't care about their family it's the word storge and then we have the word agape used over and over again even here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 it's the love of God that's been poured out into our hearts it's not our kind of love it's not possible for us to give agape love apart from God. No unbeliever whatsoever has the ability to give love as agape because they don't have love as agape. It hasn't been poured into their lives. They can be very kind. They can do very many good deeds, but the motivation isn't to please God. It hasn't come from God. It doesn't go back to God. It's more human on the human level. The love of an unbeliever, as sweet as it is, is not the highest level love, agape. It's more like, a, it's more like storge or phileo. It's more of a friendship, familiar love. Uh, it's well appreciated and wonderful, but it's not the love of God. If you step back and just think about it for a second, one of the most astounding truths, one of the most startling things about the love of God is that there is a holy and righteous God that loves unholy and unrighteous people. It just blows my mind. That the Bible describes that love that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, or another way of saying that is, even when we hated God and didn't live for God and didn't care for God, our life wasn't represented, even in our worst condition, God continued to love us in his purest form. It's the very essence of the grace of God. It's the very essence that, hey, you know what? I understand that whole love thing. and I, I mean, I, I get it, but I don't deserve it. Exactly. That's the grace of God demonstrated in his love. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. That would be you and I. The world represents a lot of people, everybody. That he sent his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, beautiful in its simplicity. God loved, God gave, God sacrificed. I I think it's clear, if we were to open up tonight for a time of testimony, which we do from time to time on Wednesdays, there isn't one person here. I mean, there might be some that might do that because they kind of have a wrong understanding of what God has done in their life. But when we clear that up, there's no one that would come up here and go, you know, I, I got saved after I cleaned my life up. Yeah, I came to a Bible like this, and and they gave me a list and said, go take these 10 things, and so I did all 10 things, and I came back to God, and that's how he accepted me. That's not true. There's no way in the world you could clean up clean enough to be acceptable by God. Whether your life is filled with like a billion sins or just, you know, you're one of those good people, only one mistake you've made your whole life, and then thinking that is your second mistake, you know, it's like... Of course, your whole life has been lived in such a way where you've fallen short of the glory of God. Even the best of the best, the greatest good people have fallen short of the glory of God. And it wouldn't be possible, and it wouldn't be truthful for you to say, you know, this is how God saved me. I cleaned up my life, I got everything in order, and then I presented that clean life to God. If that is what you have chosen to do, here's the deal. You have presented that, in your eyes, that clean life to God, I'll tell you right now, God has rejected that clean life. It is not clean enough. Well, what do you mean, Ed? Because you're genuine and sincere. I want to be right with God. What do you mean? I got to go clean up some more? No, you just need to surrender and repent of your sins. God will clean you up a lot faster and a lot easier than you could ever do. You know the cool thing about the cleanup of God? The cool thing about the cleanup of God is he doesn't start actually on the outside first, he starts on the inside. Like a fish, he guts you. <laughs> That is one of the most sickening things that I've ever seen. Why anyone would want to fish, number one, I don't get it. But why anyone would want to keep it and gut it, that really I don't get. You know, Pastor Louis's really good at that, man. He can, he's done. I'm like, that is sickening, dude. But that's like your life, isn't it? Just that fast. And you're like, that's sick. I know, that's your life. He doesn't try to clean up on the outside. You know, I, take care of this and take care of that and watch your language and be careful how you dress. That will all follow. Because if we use that same illustration of the fish, it's impossible to clean the fish until it's caught. Until then, it's all theory. Until then, it's like, yeah, it would be really nice to clean a fish. Okay, catch one first. I've got it all figured out. I've even got my diagrams. I know exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. It's impossible to clean a fish unless you've caught it. And God, he cleans those that he catches. And those that he catches are those that have heard the gospel, the good news. That Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Offered you a way of escape for your life. given you opportunity after opportunity to view your sin for what it is. If there's anyone in the room that knows the depth of your sin, it's you. We all see the symptoms. We all see the outgrowth. We all see the consequences, but you live it. You go to sleep with it. You dream about it. You wake up with it. You try to run away from it. You try to drink it away. You try to think it away. You try to relationship it away. You try to run away. You try to walk away. You try to crawl away. And every time you wake up, there you are. You can't run fast enough. You can't run far enough. It's still there. That weight of knowing that your life isn't right with God. Your weight in knowing that you were created by God. You didn't just evolve from some whatever. Whatever it is this time. Ooze, stars, dust, whatever. Ah, Who knows what they're making up now. You did not evolve. You were created in the image of God. You bear his likeness. You have a longing. To BE RIGHT WITH GOD. THE BIBLE SAYS THAT GOD HAS PUT ETERNITY IN YOUR HEART. And WHEN WE'RE ABLE TO NAIL IT DOWN AND LAY ASIDE ALL THE DISTRACTIONS, BOTTOM LINE, YOU KNOW YOU'RE NOT RIGHT WITH GOD. GOD HAS SHOWN THAT TO YOU OVER AND OVER AGAIN. AND THE ONLY WAY OUT, THE ONLY WAY OF ESCAPE if you use the picture of being drowned, if you're drowning in the ocean, the only way of escape is to take on that life preserver and completely rest your life upon it. And even if you're too weak to grab it, God comes along and he wraps your arms around it, honoring your desire to be saved. And you can ha- that, that can happen tonight.
0: It sure can, through simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you'd like to do that right now, would you give us a call? We'd love to answer any questions you may have. Call us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. And this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you'd like to hear this message again, go online to calvaryco.church and search for Agape Love is Supreme. And here in the month of July, we've picked out a book written by Pastor Ed we think you'll enjoy and benefit a great deal from. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called Ordinary Servant. Maybe you've wondered, can God really use me? I'm just an ordinary guy or gal. Well, the answer, in short, is absolutely. Pastor Ed will lovingly and biblically walk you through how it is we can serve others with the heart of Christ. We'll send this your way for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And again, we'll say thanks for a gift of $25 or more by sending you Pastor Ed's book, Ordinary Servant. When you make a donation to Abounding Grace, you're helping countless others learn and apply the Bible and grow in grace. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That number again 877-30-GRACE Next time on Abounding Grace we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for listening today and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace